Welcome to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church in Greenwood, Mississippi. We are a community of Christians that exists to make disciples of Jesus Christ and influence the Delta for the glory of God. More information about Westminster can be found at www.wpcgreenwood.org. Uh, if you're staying in here with us, I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 20. Uh, of course, it's there. Also, your bulletin. Uh, Luke chapter 20. And as we saw last week, after Jesus cleansed the temple, uh, just for a few days before Jesus' death, uh, the temple became a place of prayer again, and Jesus was teaching uh, in the temple daily. And the people, as we found last week, were hanging on his every word. Yet we also saw last week that not everybody was so happy that Jesus was teaching in the temple. The guardians of the status quo uh, were infuriated at Jesus. And we don't know the, the literal words Jesus spoke that so set them off, but we do know that what he was doing in the temple was, as we're going to find this morning, preaching the gospel. Throughout the Bible, we find that few things are as scandalous and few things are as offensive, especially to self-righteous people, as the gospel of grace. Um, well, having preached that, Jesus had crossed the line so much so that the big bosses of Judaism were called in to talk to him. This will be like um, somebody here or me preaching a, a, a sermon so offensive. I mean, just like so offensive uh, that the big, the big boys of American Christianity were called in. Like we're, we're talking like H.B. Charles and, and we even brought Mark Dever in uh, to chastise me. They flew him in just to rebuke me. So these were the big bosses, uh, the, the chief priests, the elders that we're, we're seeing here, they make up the Sanhedrin, or at least some of it. And during Jesus' day, the Sanhedrin were, it was composed of 71 religious leaders who held the government and the people in the palm of their hands. Uh, this was, they knew what was going on at all times. They, they tracked everybody's location in their cell phones, like they knew what you were up to. And nothing happened without their say-so. And yet Jesus was here in the temple, by the way, preaching without an open-air permit. And what's more is he wasn't teaching some variation of what they liked to teach was do more, try harder, keep the law, and maybe God will love you. He was just pe preaching the pure gospel. And the big bosses showed up asking, Jesus, just who do you think you are? Who do you think you are? By what authority are you here teaching because we sure didn't approve it. You know, Jesus' Jesus' authority is always offensive, uh, isn't it? Uh, by the way, Isaiah told us this is what it was going to be like. Isaiah prophesied that the Lord would become a stone of offense, that it was going to be a rock of stumbling, and many were going to stumble over it and fall. Well, just like 2,000 years ago, Jesus' authority, it continues to be so offensive and, and a stumbling block to many, doesn't it? I mean, in Jesus you have this person who says, you know, we have a hard time forgiving people, right? And yet we, in Jesus we have somebody saying like, no, no, we want you to forgive 70 times, 7 times. Um, we have somebody that says, you know, we have a heart, like we'll, we'll love our friends, we'll pray for our friends. Uh, but Jesus tells us to pray for our enemies, actually to love our enemies, Jesus tells us to pray for those who persecute you. That's so offensive. 
So this cuts to the core of who we are. Because if Jesus truly is the one with all the power, then that means that we don't have power. And that means that, that what he ultimately says, well, is ultimate. And we can't bend his will to ours, but no, it means that to follow Jesus is to bow. And it's to the biblical word uh, re repent, to turn, and to submit to his will and his way. And so 2,000 years ago, a bunch of religious leaders walked up to Jesus and asked the timeless question, who made you boss? And, the Luke, and Luke recorded what happened. So this is God's word. One day as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple and preaching the gospel, the chief priests and the scribes with the elders came up and said to him, tell us by what authority you do these things, or who is it that gave you this authority? Jesus answered them, well, I also will ask you a question. Now tell me, was the baptism of John from heaven or from man? And they discussed it with one another, saying, well, if we say from heaven, he will say, well, why did you not believe him? But if we say from man, all the people will stone us to death, for they are convinced that John was a prophet. And so they answered that they did not know where it came from. And Jesus said to them, well, neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. And Jesus began to tell the people this parable. He said, A man planted a vineyard and let it out to tenants and went into another country for a long while. And when the time came, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. So he sent another servant, but they also beat and treated him shamefully and sent him away empty-handed. And he sent a third and this one they also wounded and cast out. Well, then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my beloved son. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they said to themselves, This is the heir. Let's kill him so that the inheritance will be ours. And they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. What then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Well, he will come and destroy those tenants and give the vineyard to others. And when they heard this, they said, surely not. But Jesus looked directly at them and said, what then is this that is written? The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, and when it falls on anyone, it will crush him. Well, the scribes and the chief priests sought to lay hands on Jesus at that very hour, for they perceived that he had told this parable against them. But they feared the people. This is God's good word. You know, look, if you're, when you're in school, I can't remember what age it is here, but the first time you have to write a, a proper research paper, um, you, you find, that you, well, you quickly learn that you can't just write. You can't just, like, write whatever you're thinking. Um, but no, it is fundamentally important, and you especially learn this in college, like, like receive a failing grade, uh, like get kicked out of school important, that you cite your sources, right? And, and I know like today there are apps that automatically format your references for you, but just to me personally, the hardest thing about writing papers for me um, was, was put, making sure the footnotes and the bibliography page was in the right format. You know, whether it's MLA or APA or Chicago styles, the point is that you give credit where credit is due, right? That any authority you have to make the claims you are making in that paper 
it is a derived authority, right? It's a borrowed authority from all these other professionals that you quoted. Okay. Well, as, as heart attack serious as that is for us today, it was even more so in Jesus' day. Kent Hughes noted that the act of teaching back then was a tedious chain of authority that went something like this. Um, you would start with a sermon, but you would say, Rabbi Aaron said, and Rabbi Joseph said, Rabbi Halil says, Rabbi Caiaphas also permits me to say, and so I say to you, X, Y, or Z. And even Paul, you know, Paul's conversion, if you read through Acts and his call from Jesus, was recorded twice, right? And Luke meticulously recorded how Paul just didn't up and decide he wanted to be a preacher or a missionary, uh, but rather he was sent by a church body at Antioch, that he met with Peter, he met with the other apostles, he met with Jesus, uh, and, and then he got the stamp of approval from the Jerusalem council. It's like all of these things prove that he has the right to be called an apostle. Okay, and yet in a world where meticulous footnoting was the expected practice, where people said, hey, so-and-so said, and so-and-so said, and so I say to you what so-and-so said, Jesus just showed up and said, Truly, truly, I say to you, he didn't quote anybody. And, and look, before we're too hard on the religious leaders, to their credit, they, they knew like we know that authority is totally fakeable. Like, you can totally fake authority. And John Ortberg notes that that's why impersonating a police officer is a crime. Okay? Because it's, it's, like, it's, it's that evil to impersonate authority. One of the most dangerous and foolish things we can do is bestow authority to people who have no business speaking authoritatively on something. And so take our, our pop culture, just quick aside, as Exhibit A. You know, there's always been a temptation to take people who are really good at one particular thing, right? For instance, they're good at writing songs about all their former boyfriends, like really good at writing songs about former boyfriends. Um, or really good at catching or throwing or shooting or kicking a ball. And our culture will bestow upon them authority to speak to us like in all matters of life. And when the wrong people become our heroes, they influence an entire generation towards foolish living. I tell you, several, uh, several cultures in the South Pacific, they found a way to combat this problem. Uh, for them, in, in their tribes, the person deemed authoritative and thus able to speak on, on a topic is given a conch shell. And so you go there, and whoever is holding the conch shell is who you need to listen to. They're the ones in authority. Okay, well, because the religious leaders knew that we like to throw authority at people who write songs and who can shoot basketballs really well, they knew, I mean, they ask a good question, right? What gives you the right to hold the conch shell, Jesus? A good question. But the problem came when their hard hearts... Um, made them unable to receive Jesus' answer to their question. They asked Jesus a question, and Jesus responded with a revealing question of his own. You know, he asked, All right, well, was the baptism of John, was that from God or was that from man? And with that, the reason they did not believe was exposed is because of fear of man and because they were too politically correct to follow an argument to its logical conclusion they thought, well, look, we, we, we can't say heaven because, well, we rejected it, right? And because that would be us admitting to reject God. 
We can't say from man because everyone here is convinced that John the Baptist was a prophet from God. And then that means that they would stone us. And so this is revealing to just how hard their hearts were. I mean, the no-brainer answer would be to say, look, the baptism of John was from God. But because of party allegiances and keeping themselves in power, this is what happens, all of a sudden these know-it-alls became helplessly agnostic, right? Like instead of admitting the proper answer to the logical flow, they just say, I don't know, I don't know. And to that, Jesus essentially said, well, since your hearts are so hard that you can't follow an argument to its logical conclusion, then you can't possibly understand by what authority I have. So I can't answer your question. But because Jesus is a really good teacher, he then turned away from the religious leaders and to the people he had been teaching, and he told them a parable about the vineyard. And in this parable, Jesus not only laid out the, his, his authority, but he also gave this grand sweeping story of mankind, uh, which we would call the gospel. And so like the gospel, this parable is best unpacked in three acts, three points, uh, very brief points. Creation, fall, redemption. This is how we view life. Uh, so first, creation, right? Verse 9 really gives us perspective. Verse 9 says that God created a vineyard. He set it up, put in the infrastructure, all the stuff. It, it was turnkey, perfect. And then he placed workers who Jesus calls tenants in the vineyard to, to work it on behalf of the owner of the vineyard. Well, we've heard something like this before, haven't we? You know, on Wednesday nights, we've been studying this for weeks. It's, it's creation that God created everything there is. He created man, male and female, and he placed them in his creation, in his garden to work it. And it's what theologians call the cultural mandate. You know, the, the job description of humanity is to work and to steward and to develop the vineyard, so to speak. Not for, it's not for our glory, but for God's glory. That was the plan. Of course, that's not what, what panned out. We'll get to that in a second. But for now, I'm like, just if we go back to that, what a reminder. You know, you talk about a theology of stuff, right? That if God made the vineyard... He set it all up. That means that everything in that vineyard is ultimately his, which, which is a problem because I don't know about you, but I can have this propensity to think that I'm the owner. You know, we, we, we grow up singing uh, that old song, like, this land is your land, this land is my land. From California to the New York Island, this land was made for you and me. Okay, well... Um, Te uh, Judah has learned a new word, y'all. It's uh, technically. You know, when your, your kids start using these words and they use them in all the weirdest ways. Well, technically, I was like, okay, technically, this is God's land, right? And made for his glory, not for us. And, and we're just stewards of his, of his property. In fact, everything we think is ours is simply on loan to us from the Father, which means to truly be human, in the kingdom of God is to know that our wealth and our, our homes and our, our, our beauty, our health, our everything is a gift from God. Even our souls don't belong. They're, they're not our own. They either belong to the prince of this world or they've been bought with a price. And we belong body and soul to our Lord and Savior, Jesus. And an easy way to remember this 
is really just simply about pausing and giving thanks for meals, to give thanks throughout the day. That's, that's one of the reasons why part of our worship is we, we give tithes and offerings. We, give, we, we respond in thanks. But it's not just theology of stuff. It's also a theology of place, right? It's, if it's God's vineyard and God places his tenants in said vineyard, then that means wherever you are, that God has sovereignly placed you there, okay? And look, maybe you're in Greenwood because you were born here. This is all you've known. Uh, maybe you're here because a job brought you here. But in the Bible, God says that God placed you in this part of the vineyard. I, I love that old quote from Samuel Rutherford. He, he put it this way. He says, the great master gardener, the father of our Lord Jesus, and a wonderful providence with his own hand planted you here, where by his grace you grow. And here you will abide till the great master of the vineyard think fit to transplant you somewhere else. I love that, God's sovereignty in place. And so, that means we don't just bide our time here until we can finally retire somewhere else where we really want to be. No, no, like God hasn't called you there yet. So in the meantime, he has planted you here. Not to cultivate and to steward here. But things, as we said, things didn't go that way. The fall came. And so just like these tenants in the garden of, well, just like these tenants in the garden of Eden, Adam and Eve were tempted. Adam and Eve fell. They rebelled. And with that, all of humanity rebelled. And so the relationship we were made to have with God was, was broken. And naturally, we are all natural-born rebels to God. And that's why naturally we don't want to be no stinking tenant farmer. We don't want to be a sharecropper. Like we want to be the landowner. And we don't want to be a steward of the king. We want to be the king and the queen. So we say things like, who gives Jesus the right to tell me what to do? Well, naturally, instead of working in God's vineyard for God's glory, we'd much rather have our own little vineyard, work for our own glory. So naturally, we are God haters the Bible says. And what's more is throughout Scripture, God's, you know, God's people, they were also called a vineyard. That's why the temple had all these etchings of grapevines in its walls. And the religious leaders of Israel were tenants. They were put in place to care for God's people. And you could say the same for the church today, right? It's, it's, it's not the church leader's church. It's not, it sure isn't my church. It's Jesus' church. And we're just under shepherds, under the great shepherd. When the parable of the tenants lost the way, and they start to think, hey, they start to think it's, it's our temple, and it's our church, and it's our people. And, and so anytime the owner, God the Father, said, I'm going to probably kind of do something I need to do, he would send someone. They just abused and rejected him. And, and Jesus, in this parable, he's talking about the Old Testament prophets, right? If people who God sent to call his people back to faith, to call them back to repentance. And he sent prophets to point people to the Messiah. And yet what happened to God's servants? You know, Elijah, we, we talked about him, he was driven out into the wilderness. Uh, Elisha, among many persecutions, was also made fun of, right, because of his appearance. Like, and I relate to that because, you know, he got made fun of his bald head, all these kids making fun of him. Um, Isaiah was killed. You know, tradition tells us that Isaiah was sawn in two. How about that? 
Joel and Amos were beaten to death with a staff. Jonah, do you, do you know what being faithful to God's call is? Um, you start to see why Jonah initially didn't obey God's call. Um, Jonah, being faithful to God's call, it caused the Jews to hate him. And he spent the rest of his life banished in Assyria. Nahum, and, and Nahum had death threats. Habakkuk was stoned in uh, Jerusalem. Ezekiel was killed by one of the chief, pre, chief of the Jews. Um, Zechariah was stoned to death near the altar. I, I mean, God sent prophet after prophet. He sent John the Baptist who pointed to Jesus and said, uh, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's him, guys. And he was beheaded. You know, Stephen, remember Stephen the deacon, one of the first sermons recorded in the book of Acts was Stephen preaching. And in his sermon, he said, can you imagine if a preacher preached this today? Stephen looked at, at the people and he said, you stiff-necked people, you always resist the Holy Spirit. He says, you are just like your fathers. Is, is there no one that your fathers did not persecute? Well, you know what they did to Stephen after he preached that? They just killed him. God graciously sent servant after servant, and they were rejected. You know, Hebrews summarizes it this way. It says they were stoned. They were sown in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And so in the parable, the, the owner said, well, what shall I do? They're not receiving my servants. Well, you know what? Maybe I'll send my son. Surely they'll respect him. And y'all, in the fullness of time, God did send his son. You know, that's the, the source of Jesus' authority. Who made him boss? Well, the fact that he's God, uh, that made him boss. And notice what happened. The people in the vineyard, they, they took him, they threw him out of the vineyard saying, this is the heir. If we kill the heir, that means that we get the property. We get the inheritance. Okay. This is where it comes home. We're, we're, though Jesus was talking to the religious leaders, in this parable he's also telling our story. Because though we weren't there 2,000 years ago to when Jesus was killed, it was still our sin. And our rebellion, and like your and my spitting in the face of God that nailed Jesus to the tree. And so Jesus ends the section really with this, this banger of a question, right? It's verse 40, when the owner of the vineyard comes, what do you think he's going to do with these tenants? What would he do to you? And he, makes no, he says, make no mistake about it, there is a reckoning coming judgment is coming and left to ourselves, there will be hell to pay. But thankfully, by grace, Jesus doesn't leave us there, right? He offers us redemption, which is how we'll close. You, you know, when you read this parable, at least when I read this parable, it seems like the father is crazy at worst and maybe naive at best. Because what landowner in their right mind is going to do this? You send your own son into the jaws of, of, of most certain death, into anarchy. I mean, how could he do such a crazy thing? But what's Mr. Exactly? What defies comprehension? Like, who does this? 
and seems absolutely crazy actually happened 2,000 years ago. What seems like ignorance is in fact an intentional act of God's grace. And so we can't mistake grace for naivety. So regarding this parable, in light of the cross, we see that the Father and the Son were in on it together the whole time. That, that they're co-conspirators of mercy. And, and like the parable, Jesus was cast out. And on the cross, Jesus died the death that he did not deserve so that in him we could get the life that we absolutely do not deserve. Eternal life with the Father. I mean, who does that? So Jesus said, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. You know, back then, cornerstones, they were huge, right? Like, like the size of like a bus. They were the most important, the largest stone in a building. And if the cornerstone was weak in that building, that meant that the building was weak. And if the cornerstone wasn't okay, that meant that you were not okay. And yet here, Jesus is saying, if you come to me, and if you build your life on me, like not on your career, and not on your reputation, not on your stuff, but on me, then, then you're going to be okay. In the parable, the tenants killed the son to get the inheritance. And like the plot twist of the universe is that because of Jesus' death, that is exactly what you get in him. Paul says that if you believe in Christ, not only are your sins forgiven, but you are adopted as God's children, and as children, then you are an heir. Then you are an heir, which means not only is the vineyard yours, and you can never be kicked out of the vineyard, but the Father is also yours. And in Christ, you can never lose his love. You know, isn't that good? Isn't that, look, I know we're Presbyterian, so please don't agree or verbally say anything. We've got a brand to uphold here. Um, but in Christ, God doesn't deal with you as your sins deserve. Grace, grace, it does not make sense. But may we simply say, it's what Peyton read this morning. May our response simply be what the psalmist said. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This was the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Amen? Amen. Well, let me pray for us. Father, may, may the gospel reality become bigger and bigger and bigger in, in our lives, so much so that it eclipsed our entire horizon. Um, Father, continue to impress upon us that though our sins, they are many, your mercy is more. Uh, Father, thank you that um, we have an inheritance that you're not kicking us out of the vineyard in Jesus, but you're bringing us in, uh, back into paradise. Uh, so, Father, may we receive that gift of grace. Uh, may we take hold of it by faith, uh, and may through your Spirit you cause us uh, to live out our days uh, as his follower. Thank you. Amen. Hi, Richard Owens here. I just wanted to take a second to say thank you for listening to the podcast of Westminster Presbyterian Church. Our prayer is that the Lord would use this message to encourage you in the gospel 
and that you would find Jesus to be more beautiful than you ever, ever imagined. If you'd like to find out more about who Jesus is or more about our church, I invite you to visit our website at wpcgreenwood.org. God bless.